Welcome yet to another episode of the Nailed It Ortho podcast. I myself am Dr. Cole. I'm one of your hosts, and I am also joined with... Hey, guys, it's the better half, Dr. Jamal Fitz. <laughs> <laughs> nice to yeah. have you guys back with us today. Man, whatever helps you sleep at night. Uh, you know, we got a good episode today. Uh, we have Dr. Dixon. We're talking about pilon fractures. So I think we just go ahead and just jump into it. Uh, you know, Dr. Fitz kind of let us know a little bit more about about our guest for the day. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Dr. Tanya Dixon will be our amazing guest that we have here uh, for the talk today. Uh, we're going to be speaking again on P-Line fractures. Just a little bit about Dr. Dixon. She did her residency at the University of Cincinnati. Uh, she did her fellowship at Mass Gen in foot and ankle surgery, and she is now one of my favorite attendings. Look at that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you didn't no, say that for brownie points, did you? No, no, no. She, she, she's pretty, she's pretty nice with me and helped me out a whole lot. So, you know, she, she gives me a little brownie points anyway, and I appreciate it. She's really, she's really awesome. So this talk is going to be great. Uh, really enjoyed doing it. I think this is going to be great for not only uh, medical students, but residents and even attendings maybe who want to look back and just go over some of the uh, things they may have forgotten about P-Line fracture. So uh, we're not going to spend a, too much time on this. I want you guys to go ahead and dive right into it. So with no further ado, enjoy the show, guys. You are now listening to Nailed It, the orthopedic surgery podcast featuring doctors Jay Fitz and Wendell Cole. Dr. Dixon, welcome to the Nailed It podcast. We are happy to have you here and happy to speak to you. Oh, thank you for having me. Yes. It's a pleasure to help you, gentlemen. Uh, we love it. And kind of what we like to start off with and do is we kind of want to do like a one-liner, right? So when we go to the hospital, you might have a patient, you say, hey, this is a 34-year-old male that ground level fall x y and z but we want to do with pretty much with ourselves right so mine for example would be i'm a 24 year old male about to be an intern in orthopedic surgery i love hanging out with my family traveling and doing fun sports or dr fitz maybe a 27 year old uh entering intern into orthopedic surgery enjoy spending time with family and living life to the fullest so gotcha what would yours be if you had a one-liner about yourself uh, well, I am a 39-year-old female who is just in her first year of practice as a foot and ankle surgeon at the University of Cincinnati. I enjoy hanging out with my family, which includes my husband and my two-year-old daughter. Love it. Love it. Love it. That, that was great. So what we kind of want to do is just ask you some general questions to kind of get to know you and kind of just see what your expertise would have or what your expertise would say. So a question I have for you is what advice would you give to your 25-year-old self if you could? I think for me it's always been, you know, and I'm thinking of work, is, you know, work hard, get the job done. Um, I feel like the work ethic these days is not what it used to be. And so I think that's something that I admired in myself now um, and would encourage myself at 25 to continue doing. That makes perfect sense. Sounds good to me. I think we have one more here for you. And this is something outside of work. We, we actually was going to ask, is there some, do you have any hobbies or interests outside of medicine? I am a huge um, movie buff, so I really enjoy uh, the theater. I actually recently just saw uh, Hamilton um, in in the in Chicago, 
Um, so getting out to plays when I can and then getting to the movies when I can. Obviously, with a two-year-old, that uh, uh, limits what I can can do, um, and that has definitely declined uh, with her addition, but I wouldn't change it for the world. Okay, I absolutely understand that, but i got to put this one out there for our listeners because this, this was a big one. Uh, did, you, did you get a chance to see the uh, Avengers? Uh, no, I haven't. That is on my list to see. Okay. Uh, the last movie I saw was Black Panther. Okay. Well, okay. you just put yourself back in there. There we go. We're good. Oh, that's great. So, uh, okay, great, awesome. So let's let's go ahead and jump into Pilon Fracture. It's pretty much what we're going to be talking about today. Pilon slash Buffond. Um, and what we'd like to do is we'd love to start out with a case and kind of go from there. So. Sure. Let's say we have our, our case here. We have a 50-year-old electrician brought to the emergency department after falling 10 feet from his ladder. Shoes are still on, and he has an obvious deformity of his ankle. Can you kind of take us through what are some of the things that we kind of want to ask when we're taking our history, and what are some of the things that we want to be on the lookout for when we do our physical exams? So obviously, this is I'm jumping in right after you know as a you know orthopedic surgeon is making sure that you know everything else is fine with him you know airway breathing you know that he's a, a stable um, individual and then concentrating on you know where his injury is so obviously it's going to be his ankle um, we know that there's a deformity so the first thing we want to make sure is. Um, you know, does he have sensation? Is he able to move his foot? Um, does he have a pulse? That's probably one of the biggest things because if he does not have a pulse, that means you need to get to um, a reduction sooner rather than later to restore his um, blood flow. Also, you want to look at uh, what his soft tissues um, are like is there an opening is it you know grossly contaminated if it's uh, open meaning is there a lot of debris um, grass you know mud that sort of thing um, because that will determine how quickly you need to get him to the operating room and so once we we've done that we've done our physical exam uh, what what would kind of be the next step what would you be doing next uh, next step, I would be getting x-rays to see exactly what uh, I'm working with, um, what sort of fracture that I have uh, on hand, and then once the x-rays are obtained, and if, say, there was an open wound, you know, I'd clean it out preliminarily in the emergency room and then stabilize him with a splint, uh, so both a posterior slab and a stirrup um, to stabilize his um, fracture um, until his definitive or next step in care is uh, to take place. Okay. Yes, ma'am. And also, can we talk about, I know with these fractures, sometimes it might be a little tricky, but what is the actual technique that you would uh, use for the reduction of this this fracture? That is a hard one um, because these can be, you know, sometimes not displaced or heavily comminuted, you know, kind of a bag of bones to where, like, the best reduction maneuver, reduction maneuver is just pulling, you know, um, axial traction and restoring his uh, ankle out to length. And then depending on if he's going into varus or valgus, you know, kind of controlling that deformity uh, as well while you're applying your um, your splint. So it's not an exact, you know, reduction maneuver per se. 
um, like you would say a distal radius. Right. And, and kind of what I want to do is just rewind this a little bit and kind of go back into the radiographs. We, we, we mentioned that we would order x-rays. Can you kind of go on what, what x-rays, like what views we should order and then kind of some of the things that we want to be on the lookout for with each view? Sure. So you want to get your standard AP uh, and lateral, at least if you get an oblique, um, that's great because that will give you, you know, a different viewpoint of the the joint. Um, the you know each view gives you a little bit more information about the the fracture and its uh, comminution, etc. Um, you also want to make sure that you get full-length tibia to make sure that there's not a proximal uh, fracture uh, as well as knee. Um, you always want to get the joint above and below. In this case, there's nothing below besides the foot. It is good to x-ray the foot, though, to ensure that there's no other um, talus, calcaneus, um, or even uh, midfoot uh, injury. So so say we, we have our patient and we've done our imaging and we look and we see that, okay, this is a, this is a pilon fracture. Can you kind of like walk us through like, kind of the mechanisms of how these pilon fractures typically occur? Sure. Pilon fractures are typically a high energy axial load um, injury, um, you know, and depending on what position the foot is in. So if it's dorsiflex or plantar flex, you can get, uh, you know, comminution, um, more anterior versus posterior uh, as far as the plafond goes. And then there are the lower, lower energy, not as comminuted pilon fractures. Those are your, you know, elderly population who sustain a fall, you know, ground level fall, and unfortunately they have um, a pilon. Okay, perfect. Uh, so yeah, that's actually yeah that hit right on the head for us. And let's see, so with these patients coming in um, with this with such a bad fracture and the comminution, sometimes uh, is there often a use for uh, CT scans with this type of uh, fra- injury as well? Oh, absolutely. Um, it just depends on when to obtain it. Most of the time, with your higher um, energy um, injuries. You actually want to take them to the operating room. Um, so if they have a um, open fracture, you know you're going to irrigate and debride, um, and then you're going to place them into an external fixator. Um, this is a temporary fixation that will allow the soft tissues to calm down because this fracture, um, because the ankle is not forgiving with its soft tissue, um, that you have to allow the soft tissue to calm down. Sometimes it can be up to uh, three weeks before you can fix them. Wow. So you want to get a um, CT scan after your external fixator has been applied so that you get a better understanding of your fracture fragments and your surgical planning. Um, sometimes for the lower energy falls, you don't necessarily have to X-fix them. Um, you can get the CT scan at that time um, and then, you know, start your planning uh for surgery or sometimes not if it's the case of like say a you know poor elderly neuropathic diabetic or just overall does not have uh, good health and um non-ambulatory is another another one that you may t- elect to treat uh, non-operatively all right so so say we we have this patient and just like you just said they have a high energy you know they have a, a really big fall they have a lot of axial compression coming in and what are some of the other injuries that may be associated with somebody once we find out they have this pilon fracture? Oh, sure. 
They can have any fracture along that extremity. So a lot of times they have a calcaneus, um, talus fracture, sometimes midfoot injury. Um, they can have a tibial plateau fracture, distal femur fracture, um, even femoral shafts I've seen, um, including pelvis and sometimes um, uh, spinal injury. All right, that's perfect. So I'm going to get back to the case. So let's say uh, we've uh, did the emergency, got them stabilized pretty much. We we did the x-rays, we got in the CT. Um, when we're looking at these images, in your opinion, is there any classifications that you use some, from sometimes for these types of uh, injuries? Um, for me personally, no. There are two classifications um, systems out there that uh, you know classify these fractures. Obviously, you have your AO trauma classification, and then I can never pronounce this one. <laughs> the Rigatti um, uh, Algauer, I believe it is uh, classification. Um, you know, those are just things that are out there. But typically, you know, we don't use it to classify this fracture. Okay, and yeah, that was. I was kind of thinking. I was wondering, was there any good ones? Because I, I never did ever ever hear anything being used all the time. So no. Um, okay, and no, there uh, isn't one where we often say, "Oh yeah, this is a you know da 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 da." Um, for these, so it's not like say your calc fracture uh, with the the Sanders classification. Now, I did have a question because when we were, when we were um, reviewing, you know, pilon fractures, we saw that, you know, a lot of it can happen from the axial compression as well as some the mechanism can be from shear forces. Like how often do you see pilon fractures re resulting from shear, shear forces? Um, you know, it's not that common. I'd say most of the ones that I've seen have been more um, axial compression, but then again, I'm relatively new in my my career, um, and I'm trying to recall the ones from residency, and I think it's mostly mostly axial compression, but there are, you know, those sheer injuries out there. Yes, ma'am. Um, and also, I, so now since we kind of hit on classifications, you know, or the lack thereof, uh, what would be some of the treatment options or the, the process you would go through as far as trying to decide what to do next for this particular patient? That's a great question. Um, so, you know, after you've done your, you know, temporizing with the X-Fix, um, you will assess your CT scan and, you know, decide, okay, how am I going to treat this? Um, because you can uh, treat this sometimes with an external fixator. Sometimes these are so badly comminuted that, or say the soft tissue injury is really bad, or if uh, they're a bad diabetic or, or neuropath but they need surgery, that sometimes treating them with a ringed fixator, so a little bit more complex than the external fixator, is one way to treat them. Um, it decreases your risk of pin tract um, infections, not as much soft tissue dissection, and you can do percutaneous fixation if needed um, to stabilize the fracture. So. You know, you sometimes will convert these from a uniplanar uh, X-fix to a uh, multiplanar uh, X-fix once the soft tissues have calmed down and we get a better assessment with the uh, CT scan. 
Um, most of the time, though, these are treated with open reduction internal fixation, and you will look at your CT scan to decide, all right, how am I going to uh, need to fix this? Sometimes these are, you know, a single-stage procedure. Sometimes these, you know, have to go be fixed from both the front and the back, uh, depending how complex that is. So, you know, you might be doing a posterior lateral approach, you know, prone, and then flipping the patient and having to go either anterolateral or anterior medial, um, depending on your fracture fragments. Okay. And yes, ma'am, that was actually a very uh, great explanation of everything. But if I could, I'm going to go back because I know always from as a medical student, I, I know uh, we a lot of cases you would do the external fixation, but I never really learned all of the nuances behind it. Uh, and I know there are certain things you have to worry about. And I was just going to ask you, could you kind of say what's the purpose of that X-Fix and also oh, sure. some of the things to look out for since if you know it's like a two-stage process and there's going to be a, a second surgery later? Sure. So with the X-Fix, um, the idea behind this is to keep the um, uh, fracture out to length so that you're not shortened and having to struggle with maintaining, you know, obtaining your reduction um, but it also, because you're maintaining the length of the fracture, it actually helps with the um, soft tissues to calm down um, as well. Ideally, you like to put this well outside your um, where your fixation is going to be. So you want to go pretty proximal on the tibia with your, your pins. Um, and then, you know, of course, you're going to be placing one in the calcaneus and um, most of the time one in the metatarsal. First metatarsal, so that you're not um, putting the foot into an equinus position, um, and that helps keeps things you know out to length and and uh, it prevents the Achilles from getting shortened. Oh, okay, and just just to recap, for you said when you're typically doing an external fixation on these pilon fractures, you typically put a pin through the calcaneus, a pin through the metatarsals, and you do a pin on the proximal uh, tibia. Correct. Two, yep. Typically two pins on the proximal tibia. You're doing what we call um, a delta frame or, you know, a, a triangle. Everybody has different terms for it, but um, it's just a, um, a type of fixation that we, we use just to stabilize the fracture. Now, now, now what's the use, because we were kind of reading up on some external fixators, so what's the use of um, an ex external fixator that spans the, that spans the ankle versus a external fixation that's kind of just applied to a single side. Um, so one that applies to a single side is ideally for like your tibial shaft fracture, femoral shaft fractures. Um, you're you're obtaining length through one side, whereas for an ankle, you have to cross the ankle joint in order to pull out pull it out to length. Um, you're not going to be able to stabilize that that fracture um, without crossing the ankle joint. So that's what you've you got to look at. Um, same with like a tibial plateau fracture. You're going to be placing pins in both your, your femur as well as your tibia um, to um, stabilize the, the plateau. Now, now if it, that makes sense. Yes, uh, that does make sense. Yes, ma'am. Now, if we... If we also had a um, an associated fibular fracture in our patient that has the pilon fracture, are we going to go ahead and put a plate on the fibula, or are we like when we're doing the external fixation, will we go ahead and put a fibular plate on, or I kind of how would how would you approach that? Would you do that in stage two, or, or what would you do? 
great question. So if you are going to be the surgeon, uh, this is my recommendation, and um, I know a lot of other uh, surgeons' preference as well. If you're going to be the definitive surgeon, um, then, yes, it, if you feel like getting the fibula out to length at the time of injury, and usually the fibula is forgiving um, and you don't have to worry about the soft tissues um, to go ahead and fix it. You can primarily at that that point. Um, if you are not, if you are just the on-call surgeon and temporizing, um, then you know most of the time us surgeons would rather you just temporize with the X fix, and then we can go back and decide whether or not to fix the fibula with the plate. Because what you don't want to do is put an incision somewhere, and then that affects the definitive um, fixation. So that might mm. change how um, the fracture can be fixed. And as far as the uh, definitive fixation, um, what I guess what plates do you usually like to use for these types of uh, cases? And I know it might be uh, depends on the fracture, but I guess just uh, if we can kind of get some scenarios and which ones you would use. Yeah, that's a great question. There are um, obviously a variety of uh, plates out there. I've used, you know, just run-of-the-mill one-third tubular um, plates, you know, in our small frag sets to, you know, some um, heavy-duty distal uh, locking um, plates. And it just depends on how much fixation you're going to need to, A, restore... um, that articular block, because that's the idea behind a pilon fracture, is to get it back out to length um, and then restore the articular cartilage, which is our plafond, and then ultimately connect that articular block um, or your metaphysis back to the diaphysis of the the tibia. And so you need to make sure that your hardware is going to be able to um, accomplish that. So, so if we're if we're in a setting where we have a highly comminuted and highly displaced plafond fracture, what would your I, I guess from there kind of where would you go? Is like what where would your what would your thought process be as to okay how are we going to fix this highly comminuted displaced plafond fracture? Um, it's going to be based on my CT scan and where are my fracture fragments and how can I get to it? Um, because a lot of the times that these fractures have articular cartilage that has been pushed up into the diaphysis um, or the metaphysis, I shouldn't say diaphysis, metaphysis, mostly of the um, distal tibia. And so you have to be able to find a way to go in and and get that. Um, So that will dictate, one, where your approach is, um, and then two, being able to reduce that cartilage which kind of plate am I going to be able to hold this together? Because that's your ultimate goal is, you know, restoring that articular block so that, you know, these patients are definitely going to get post-traumatic arthritis um, and usually at a pretty uh, fast rate. It's just you're trying to uh, slow that down and give them um, relatively normal anatomy given their, their injury. Yes, ma'am. And that's, I think that's actually a perfect uh, leadway to, to the next question. Um, can you tell us about some of the approaches that you would use to, f- during the surgery for these type injuries? Sure. Um, so there are, I think, six, five or six different approaches you can to the distal tibia. Um, you have your straight anterior approach. This one isn't used a lot because it exposes your tibialis anterior um, 
tendon. Um, and so you don't want to have any wound complications around that. But if you need to, a direct anterior approach to the ankle um, is utilized. You have your anterolateral approach, which you can go between um, usually your perineus tertius um, and your um, fibula. Sometimes people go between their extensor tendons and the perineus tertius. It's usually, honestly, it depends on how the fracture has already um, dissected your anatomy for you. Um, you have your anteromedial approach to the ankle, um, which is pretty much just going adjacent to the uh, tibant. And then you have your direct uh, medial approach. This is one that you just made right over the um, medial malleolus. Posterior lateral approach, which is probably one that I've utilized the most, where you go between your um, perineals and your FHL. And then your um, posterior medial one is... Usually you go be between your FHL and your um, your neurovascular bundle. Okay. And and just so just for completeness, um, what if can you kind of say which approaches you would choose if you have like a uh, like a Volkman, Volkman fragment or a posterior lateral fragment versus uh, anterior lateral fragment or chaput fragment? So if you had, um, let's start with the front. So if you had your um, your anterolateral fragment, um, then you would, or your put fragment, um, I would use the anterolateral approach. Um, that is one way where you can, and most most of the time, um, you're fixing these with an anterolateral approach. Sometimes anteromedial. We don't usually like to use anteromedial because, or medial, if we can avoid it, because you have a higher incidence of wound breakdown, and you don't want to um, have hardware that's going to be subjected to that. So usually, we'll try and go anterolateral. Um, to address that um, that fragment as well as to protect your your hardware um, for the Volkmans uh, fragment or the posterior lateral fragment, um, you'll use a posterior lateral approach. Um, you, of course, I mentioned that's you're dissecting between your your perineals and your uh, FHL, and that just allows you to get down there, um, reduce that posterior plafond. And then, you know, sometimes either it's plate and or screws um, to hold that fragment in place. And then if need to, uh, you have to go and do another approach from either anteromedial, medial, or anterolateral. I, I did have another question. So we went over the surgical treatments of, you know, these, these pilon fractures. Now, what are the non-surgical indications, the patients that we're not going to do surgery on um, that, that have these fractures? Um, your non Non-operative uh, patients are stable, you know, fracture patterns where you don't have any articular displacement, um, usually, you know, less than two millimeters or no displacement at all. Obviously, your um, patients are really ill who, um, you know, go undergoing surgery may be, you know, cause them uh, to lose their life um, and, you know, family members may elect not to do that. You can uh, treat them non-operatively. And obviously, as I stated earlier, you know, you're non-ambulatory. You, you know, would not want to subject them to something that has a high risk for um, complications to have to undergo that. So you would treat them uh, non-operatively. Okay. Well, yes, ma'am. And um, just uh, before we finish it out, uh, a couple more questions. What, What are some of the, I guess, what do you usually tell your patient about rehab? 
uh, after an injury like this? Um, so with a pilon fracture, um, most I tell patients this is at least a year-long recovery process, um, uh, and it's a life-changing. This is actually one where I tell them it's a life-changing injury um, because of the um, risk for um, infection um, as well as post-traumatic arthritis, um, that this, this is going to change change their life. And then I always tell them, you know, you're going to be non-weight-bearing for, you know, at least six weeks, uh, if not up to three months. And then from there, you start progressive weight-bearing um, and then walking with a, with a boot and then weaning out of the boot. So, you know, it can be, you know, four months before, four months or longer before you're in a, a shoe. Um, depending on which leg it is will dictate whether or not they're able to drive, Um you know, obviously, a left, left-sided left injury is better unless they have a manual car um, and they're not able to drive due to the clutch. Um, if it's right side, you know, they're not going to be driving for, you know, at least, I tell them, at least three to four months. Um, it all depends on when we allow them to start weight-bearing, you know. So if it's one where the fracture is not as common, we might let them start weight-bearing a little earlier, um, say around six weeks, and then they could be driving as soon as like nine to ten week mark. Um, they may not be out of their boot, or some some surgeons won't let them let them drive while they're in the boot, and others will let them drive um, when they're walking in it, but um, walking in a boot, but take the boot off uh, to drive, and then get you know put the boot on um, when they get to their destination. Wow, yeah, that that is. That's great. Oh, I mean, not for the patient is not great, but I mean, <laughs> I mean, your, your explanation of everything was great. Um, I, I I really appreciate you coming and talking about um, pilon fractures and and educating us uh, on on the different you know uh, the different surgical management and pretty much all about um, pilon fractures. Now, for the people listening that kind of want to reach you and you know if they want to contact you or know more about you, how can they reach you? Sure. Well, I am, as I stated earlier, I'm at sta- on staff at the University of Cincinnati. Um, so my email address is tanya.dixon, which is D-I-X-O-N, at uc.edu. Um, that's probably the best way to contact me. And, um, you know, I am open to any questions or, you know, comments uh, about our our discussion here today. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Dixon. I feel very informed, and I'm sure our listeners are going to really enjoy this talk. Uh, so thank them for listening, and thank you even more for doing this talk for us. Oh, it's my pleasure. Okay. Pilon fractures are uh, complicated uh, injuries. Thank you all so much for listening to yet another episode of the Nailed It Ortho podcast especially this episode with Dr. Dixon. I think she did a really great job giving us a great overview of pilon fractures. If you like this episode for show notes, go to nailedortho.com and look up our episode with Dr. Dixon for pilon fractures. You know, it's a good thing to be able to look at those and kind of review those notes. It takes about five minutes. And while you're there, go ahead and subscribe to our page, subscribe to this podcast. Please give us a rating in the iTunes store and Follow us on Instagram at Nailed It Ortho. Until next episode, guys and gals.